Before we begin, a brief message from this episode's sponsor, Contract Diagnostics. They are a firm that is 100% dedicated to physician contract reviews. They provide a service that all physician families will need at least one time in their careers. They've helped over 10,000 physicians understand not only what they are signing, but what risk they're taking for their family. All contracts are reviewed by an in-house attorney and presented in a simplified way back to you using custom documentation, compensation data, and times outside normal business hours. They make it easy for you. All packages are flat priced, so you know what you will pay up front. Residents and fellows can even make interest-free payments over time. So look them up at drpodcastnetwork.com slash contract diagnostics or call Jeff Siegel, and we're joined today by Alex Tiersch. So Alex wears a number of hats. In fact, he's wearing one right now. Looks like his <laughs> COVID look, you know, to address his main. Nobody here can see the video, so you are spared. But in terms of his hats, he um, he is uh, my partner at Bird Adato Law Firm. So we both came in as outsiders with with day jobs. My day job is running medical justice and. His day job is founder and CEO of American Medical Spa Association. We'll talk about that uh, going forward. So thanks so much for joining us today, Alex. Hey, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. I'm thrilled. Let's get let's get to it. Let's get to it. So why don't we start with your background? Um, I know that if you and I had been having a conversation 15 years ago, and I said that you would be a founder and CEO of American Medical Spa Association, you probably would have said, huh, what is that and how does that happen? So why don't you, why don't you, let's do an orient, an or, origin story. Tell us how you got rolling um, the, the pre-AMP spa days. What were you doing and how did you migrate from point A to point B? It's, you know, it's, it's amazing how things work out, right? You just, you just, you never can anticipate where, the road is going to take you and especially if you have your your eyes open for opportunity and you're and you're and you're open for it uh doors will open so i was uh i was a litigator back in the day i i graduated i've been practicing uh law for now for 20 years and started off as a trial attorney doing um employment litigation mostly and I generally wasn't too fond of it for a variety of reasons. I, I, I didn't mind it, but I, more than anything, I didn't want to work for anybody. I wanted to be my own boss. So I always kind of had that entrepreneurial spirit where I wanted to break off. So I, uh, after about seven years of practice at a, at a larger law firm doing, doing trial work and billing hours and all that crap that, that people who are lawyers will, will relate to. Wait, wait, say that one more time because I think our audience will appreciate that. Billing hours and crap, just one more time. Just do it for, for my ears and everyone else's ears. 
billing hours is 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 really a euphemism for taking a crap i think <laughs> <laughs> yes I, I think you'll find common ground uh with the entire audience there yeah. but um, we digress yeah so i i did that for a long long time and um and I really, I never took to it. I never liked it. I, I, I would look at, you know, the older partners in my law firm and just like kind of shake my head and be like, man, I cannot see myself doing this forever. This is just, this, these people are burned out They're They're, they tend to be kind of bitter and pissed off and they don't really enjoy, they don't have really a passion. I mean, I'm, I'm generalizing of course, but, but because yeah. there are some that did. Um, but you, I also you learned you weren't propelling constitutional law arguments in front of the U S Supreme court, I'm guessing. Not at all. And then, but, but I still, I still thought I was, I always thought I was going to continue to be a lawyer. I, I, I just wanted to do my own thing. So I, I quit and opened my own practice kind of on a way. I had no, no real plan. Um, my, my, my wife, who was my, my girlfriend at the time, uh, had a job and basically supported us for, you know, a year, 18 months as I kind of hung up my shingle and just started suing people basically for, for employment related <laughs> claims. I, I, most of the time I was doing discrimination claims um, and breach of contract and some corporate work, but mostly it was, it was still employment litigation. And um, I come, I came to, to learn that regardless of what uh, business position I was in, I still hated doing practicing law for the most part. It's just I it was very emotional. People were always mad at me. I was always arguing. I, you know, I, I just started to get kind of a it started it had changed me. Um and I and I knew uh fairly quickly that this was not something I wanted to do. So I, I started kind of looking around for for other areas of the law um outside of litigation because litigation was I could tell was going to burn me out uh and make me a bitter uh kind of angry person very quickly. And I, I just happened to because I always knew I wanted to help people, which is why I wanted to get it I why I got into litigation in the first place. You know, I, and, and you feel this kind of call too, Jeff. I know from 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 your career it's like, you know, I wanted to provide a service. I didn't want to just be a cog in the wheel. I didn't want to be a hired gun. I, I wanted to actually help people um, figure things out and, 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 and do things the right way. And, and I just randomly by chance was introduced by another lawyer to a, a woman, an RN in Illinois, who was, came into our office and was being investigated by the state of Illinois for by in the medical board and the nursing board for unauthorized practice of medicine, um, all sorts of things, improper ownership of a med spa, um, and and she introduced me to this concept of medical spas, and she, and we we hit it off. She's she's very nice. We're still friends to this day, you know. We we talked about the industry, and she divulged to me that she was, you know, bringing in. I mean, my God, I think it was like over two million dollars in revenue a year, and this is 2006, 2007. Uh, so that was a, a good bit of money at the time. Um, and still, I would add, probably still a good bit of money today. Still, Yes, yes. We would all agree. And and you can well imagine how an individual who is doing that would attract attention, particularly yes. of those who believe they are in the space. Um, yes. We and call that's what competitors. Yeah, that's what happened. I think it was a, a dermatologist um, 
that she was affiliated with uh, was was not happy with what she was doing. She was very good at marketing. You know, she had that kind of gift of being able to to produce the experience for her patients. So she was really one of the pioneers of 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 med spas. And hey, Alex, let's pause for a moment and just educate the audience briefly. What is a med spa? How does that compare yeah, to a day right. spa? Remember, I'm a dude, so um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't have much personal experience with that, but I know they're all over the place. Yeah, well, it's it's a relatively new concept um, that was developed late 90s, but has really kind of come on strong here in the last 10, 15 years. What it is is a play. It's it's medical, non-surgical medical aesthetics. So think think Botox, fillers, yeah. lip fillers, and laser hair removal and laser resurfacing treatments. Mm-hmm. That, that that's really what it is. These are boutique um, places where folks can get those treatments without having to go necessarily into a hospital, into a surgery center, to a, even to a dermatologist where they feel a little bit maybe uh, overwhelmed and intimidated. It's meant to be much more relaxing, much more of a private concierge experience. Um, and it's really caught on because, be, and mostly because the treatments themselves have caught on over the past 15, 20 years, you know, getting Botox has been, has been very normalized. Mm-hmm. And as the the treatments have increased in popularity, the the providers have increased in prop popularity, and the med spas, which is you know med spas, it's really a bad name for it because it has the word spa in it, and it's not really a spa. It's 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 a medical facility that provides um, that provides medical aesthetic services in a in a very soothing and kind of mm-hmm. relaxed concierge type environment. And it's provided by medical providers, meaning that those who might have traditionally performed surgical procedures could just as easily have a med spa either on site or off site. Right. And that's a well, natural uh, marriage. It, 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 exactly right. So this, this started out with the development of like collagen fillers and mm-hmm. then Botox uh, in the late nineties. And you had at first plastic surgeons and cosmetic dermatologists got into this and started providing these services. Um, back then, the, the the fillers were not very as safe, and they 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 weren't very attractive, and people were tended tended to be overdone. Um, mm-hmm. But it was it, it caught on, um, and this was kind of the birth of cash based aesthetic medical services provided by op, usually surgeons. Right. Um, what happened was they soon realized that they could have RNs. Um, and even even PAs, nurse practitioners, other physicians do these services, um, which you know didn't generate as much money as surgery, and so they started delegating these to to, to, to their RNs, and RNs started figuring out that they could provide these services, and you know it just took a couple entrepreneurial spirits to say well i can do this by myself why do i need this doctor um mm-hmm. not knowing the rules that they needed the doctor and they, then they would kind of go off on their own and that's how the industry was born it was kind of these pioneers just branching off and providing these services i mean this sounds like the traditional scope of practice challenge where the law doesn't necessarily catch up with what's going on in the real world and anytime there's a um a fight over a body organ or money, it becomes quite a conflict and it plays out with the board of medicine, board of nursing, um, and so on and so forth. So let's go back to your story because you were doing your thing, trying to figure out your next gig in life. 
And a woman shows up in your office. She has a tremendously profitable business, but she is being beaten up by the board. I'm guessing the board of medicine for the unauthorized practice of medicine. And, and she's a licensed professional, but they're basically staying, stating, I'm guessing she was swimming outside of her lane. Yeah. And she, she, she was the, the, the common setup at that time. And it's still common even today, unfortunately, is uh, especially with RNs is that they will have what they, they'll have a medical director. They'll, they'll contract with a physician. Um, and, but the, the RN would basically run the practice because Mm -hmm. they were the experts in the injectables side of things. So they had been doing the injectables for a long time. Um, and so patients would come in, they would treat the patients, the patients were happy. Everybody was happy. And then the RN would take the money and then pay the, uh, the medical director a fee. And, and that that's, Mm -hmm. and they were doing that thinking that it was, totally legal there was no that there, there was no malintent right there wasn't the the what's the what's the legal term the the oh gosh he's splitting or um oh, i was thinking of the, the 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 motive like the 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 gosh i'll, I'll Re- think of it mens rea yes mens rea now you just brought back a a horrible memory from taking the bar years ago shame on mens you for doing rea. now i'm gonna the rule against perpetuities back at you Okay. Yes, that has nothing to do with this, but but I inside I, baseball, I, everyone, you don't need to pay attention yeah. to that. Um, so there was there there was no intent to break the law. It was it was a a lack of knowledge, and um, this was pervasive in the industry. And you had these these not it wasn't just the RNs; it was the physicians too. The physicians who were serving as medical directors, and many of them were plastic surgeons and derm, very successful, had been mm-hmm. around for a long time. They, they were you know nobody seemed to understand that there were these rules against fee splitting against uh, you know the corporate practice of medicine which 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 prevents ownership by non-doctors but most importantly the the aiding and abetting the unauthorized practice of medicine as well as the unauthorized practice of medicine which that is what would get these folks in trouble and and often in big trouble and so um what I came to learn was that there was this massive multi-billion dollar industry that was developing right before my eyes that was largely operating illegally. And nobody had had any idea that they were doing things illegally. Um, And it was, I was dumbfounded, honestly, because I, because as I started to research this and talk to other lawyers and talk to the board members, um, everybody was just kind of throwing their hands up and be like, I don't know what's going on. Like, especially the, the board members in the state of Illinois in particular, they were just like, Alex, there's no, but there's no lawyers who do this. Number one, there's no education. And all we're seeing are these med spas and these RNs and estheticians and other things who are doing things plainly illegally. And they're all going to go down unless they kind of get themselves together. That and was, I'm that guessing was, it's even more complicated than that because and I don't know this, but I'm taking an educated guess that the laws that would regulate um, who can do what at a med spa probably varies state by state. So it's not just you were in Illinois at the time, you're still in Illinois, and it was complicated there. But then you take that problem and then magnify it by at least 50 because every state probably has its own rules and regulations or is mute and silent on the topic. Yeah, it was. That's what I was going to say. It was actually worse than that because not only are the the medical rules different in every state, there was there were no rules 
specific to medical spas or medical aesthetics. It was a new industry that had not been addressed. So we were trying to, you know, square peg round hole, fit in uh, the laws that governed plastic surgery and, and normal doctors into medical spas. And un unfortunately, as anyone who's, who's, who's tried to ever look into medical regulation, it's very difficult to find you know, an, an organized set of rules that folks can follow. So these the, the, these practitioners had no idea where to go. They, 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 there was no resource for them to look and try to find out what the rules were. So they were driving blind at night um, with, with no lights on. Um, in, a, and, in a snowstorm. In a snowstorm, but making piles of cash. So there was incentive for them to keep going. Like there was no reason for them to stop because the, the demand was overwhelming. And this, you know, I should be said that, you know, this is the, you know, as the internet, uh, the, the web, and then ultimately social media blew up, this all happened at the same time. And, and so it created this perfect storm of, you know, um, unknown and un, unwitting hmm. breaking the law, uh, but also a, you know, what's now a $50 billion industry worldwide that is just that, that was generating, you know, and creating um, a massive amount of demand. And there's still even to this day is not enough. There's, there's not enough qualified practitioners to meet the demand um, in medical aesthetics. And so there's really, and, and, and until, until that we started to kind of provide some of the the the, the guide the guardrails and and define where the road was people were just doing whatever they could do because they thought it was allowed um, uh, particularly if there's no obvious and public enforcement meaning that you can yep. see a particular rule and go well i can rationalize why it doesn't apply to me or no one it doesn't seem to be forced enforced or everybody's doing it and you keep doing it until there's a high profile enforcement action that everybody's saying, oh, my God, this is not good because um, I had been planning that I would never have a problem with this. Yeah. And that's exactly that's exactly what happened um, and what's been happening, what continues to happen. I mean, we've gotten a little bit better, but um, I, I still whenever I talk to uh, many of our members, um, they'll they'll tell me oh, there's so much gray area in the law and. And my response is, well, I mean, it's it's not. You just just it's just hard to find. But the lines are there. You just got to know where to look. And they're not gray, but there's no enforcement. So the enforcement is gray. So even if you don't follow the rules, the chances of you getting busted are 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 slim. Um, but it does happen, and when it does, you're going to wish that you were compliant because the, you know, the 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 what what our our firm like our, our partner Michael Bird always his analogy, which I think is is is, is apropos, is you know it, just because you're driving down the highway and a hundred or two hundred cars in front of you are going 80 and you're going 80 and they don't get pulled over and you get pulled over, saying that everyone else was going fast is not going to help you. Unfortunately, in our in our, in in my industry. When you get pulled over, they're going to take your car, they're going to take your license, and they're probably going to take, you know, your business. And that's just uh, so the consequences are are severe. And sometimes you'll get thrown in jail. So it sounds like one of the goals of the American Medical Spa Association was to be a clearinghouse for the rules and regulation as to what is allowable. And since you also became a partner at Bertadato, you can help implement and enforce—not enforce, but um, take take the education 
and yeah. potentially put it into practice, which would preemptively allow these entities, MedSpas, to be compliant or to become compliant. Does that sound like no, a nice a, snapshot? That, that, right. That, that's how we started. Um, it was we so uh, Renee Coover and I, and Renee is a partner at uh, at Bernadotto as well, and she's been with me since 2000, like nine, I want to say, um, we started to just research the laws. We started in Illinois, obviously, and just summarize them and provide a literally a clearinghouse, a guide for this information so that folks could understand what was allowed and what wasn't, you know, who could do what, who had to be on site, what the ownership rules were, how you could split up money, what were the compliance rules in your particular state. And that's how we were born. It was, you know, when we, we hooked up with with uh, Michael Bird and Brad Adato at Bird Adato, you know, we've been, I've been with them for now five years and, and we spent, we've spent that entire time uh, literally every year researching these rules nationwide. Um, and it's taken that long to actually come up with kind of a comprehensive guidebook for for what the rules are nationwide and that has morphed now into as an association now we provide business resources and we do events and, and, and other traditional association things but our core has always been we want med spas to be safe and compliant and you you join AmSpa so you can get that information and get help if needed to become compliant so i'm i'm guessing that who can do what varies state by state can you give an example and if one comes to to mind in terms of where a particular provider would be doing some type of procedure or activity in one state but that would be forbidden in another state and that would that would certainly explain how it can be confusing because um, when people go to the internet they basically assume look john doe is doing x y and z and he's successful and he tells me that he has no problems doing it um, where he lives yeah no and and so there's a few examples of that I, I i would say though that that there's some general uniformity across the country as far as who can do what and, and you know most medical practice acts and nurse practice acts nationwide are generally follow the same kind of track they're not all identical certainly but they generally are in line with with, with one another but um, some significant differences like a good example is in the tri-state area up in uh, new york pennsylvania new jersey mm -hmm. um, the rules on like laser hair removal uh, are vastly different in all three states um and in and, and new jersey although they're they're loosening it had has very strict rules um, in large part based upon kind of the, that, that, that construct that you mentioned before, somebody gets in trouble, there's a high profile case, they come in and they over legislate, had very strict rules on who could fire lasers. So aesthetic lasers, whether it's hair removal or resurfacing, they had restricted it only to nurse, uh, to doctors in a very, very strict subset thereof. Whereas in New York for hair removal, there is no, no regulation at all. Anybody can do it. It's a free for all. And then in Pennsylvania, there was a totally different law. Um, as you got into injectables, it got even it got also a little bit a, a little wonky because in s some of the states you can have an RN and above do injectables. Some states and I think New Jersey was another one um, back in the day, at least not no longer limited it to physicians. Some states like a state like Texas or even Illinois has a blanket rule that says a physician can delegate to anybody that they find to be qualified. And so you've got estheticians and medical assistants and, you know, 
anybody doing injectables. And so it becomes really, really confusing, I, I think understandably so, um, just because there's, you know, the, the other big issue that, that, that we've talked about already and that you raised is that it's, it's also just the enforcement within a particular state. Even though the rules might be there, no one is, not everyone is following them. And it's much more expensive and difficult to follow the rules than it is to not follow the rules. And if no one's being busted for it, there's not much incentive to it. So it, it's, 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 it's really confusing. And sometimes it does take a high-profile action to get everyone to either become compliant or to ask the question, can I become compliant? Um, I, I know that you've blogged about this and you had a podcast on what happened in Texas. Um, was it one year ago or two years ago? Time flies so quickly now. But um, it, you know, normally if there's a problem with the Medical Practice Act, um, it's the Board of Medicine says stop what you're doing and you know maybe you'll there'll be a fine to become compliant but it's not it, it, certainly there's a cap on what they can do to you but in this particular case uh, they involved the criminal justice system and it became uh, <laughs> it wasn't just a matter of money at that point it was a question of freedom so why don't you spend a couple minutes and describing what happened in that situation. Yeah, this a very similar thing happened in California before then. Um, but so what happened? And this was in Houston in 2019, so not too long ago, end of 18 into 19. Um, there were a string of arrests. So the 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 medical board actually had reached out to the to I think it was the attorney general in the state, and they went out and they arrested some people. Uh, you know, did the busted went in and with you know, the full, the full force of the law. And these are licensed providers though. It's not as if they just took an internet course and um, showed up no. to start doing injectables, correct? Yeah. Who were, were, were doing things, at least based upon my review of the, of the, of the case. And I haven't, I don't have intimate knowledge of it, but we're doing things largely correct. Like not even doing things that wrong, but for whatever reason, there was there was a task force that was set up to to bust these people, and they made a series of arrests, like four or five in a row in Houston, all kind of in the same area, and and everybody was a bit taken aback because they were arresting them for unauthorized practice of medicine, um, things like that. But it it it, it was it, it was shocking because we we you normally don't get that type of response for what the the, the the actual crime was. I mean, this was a, a serious response, a serious show of force uh, for folks who were, who, you know, nobody had been hurt. There was no claim of injury, you know, anything like that. It was just people were doing things incorrectly. Um, and that caused a, a shiver, as you can imagine, across the industry, because um, this was something we had really never seen before, other than California, but in California, it was a little bit more egregious. And the, the issue that we dealt with was, okay, what do we do now? And, and you know, number one, what is happening? Wh why is it happening? And, and how do we go about educating people and educating the public just so that they know that, that places are, are safe? And what we saw and what we've seen in a couple different states is that after that happened in Houston, there was a, a, some group in the state of Texas um, convinced the medical board to to introduce sweeping regulations that would have been very detrimental to the industry and, and were really overreaching. There was there was way that they were way too strict, um, and that's what hey, happened. Hey, Alex, I, I yeah. think in this and refresh my memory, um, if I'm or correct me if I'm wrong. I think in this case the question was whether the practitioners 
were had too much latitude to make a medical decision. And when I say medical decision, they were doing injections and based on you know what the standard protocol would have been, they may have got, they may have either had too much latitude to make a decision or they strayed somewhat outside of the existing protocol. I mean, it really was that basic, was it was it not? No, it 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 it, it was. So what you're referring to is there there needs, you know, a doctor is the one who makes medical decisions and diagnoses and sets the treatment plan. In in the in this case, the there was like the they had the doctor had actually seen the patient. So there was a they they, they did their their mm -hmm pre-treatment consult, which is required. And they had provided a range of, you know, units that the, the practitioner who was qualified to do the, the treatment could provide. Um, but because there was a range, the medical board and the attorney general ultimately said that there was, that the, this nurse was using discretion in determining, you know, how much product to use in a particular part of the patient, and that discretion exceeded her scope. Which is interesting because as a post-op patient, if you're taking care of a post-operative patient, a standard order may be, for example, one to two milligrams of morphine IV every hour PRI pain or some range like that giving the nurse at bedside some discretion to titrate to effect if the patient has more pain you give more medication the alternative yeah. is the doctor gets awakened every hour um, on the hour um, throughout the night and that's just not workable so it is interesting that this came down to a matter of some discretion but you see how discretion is allowed in some circumstances but it's forbidden in other circumstances yeah, well, and I think I think kind of you're you're getting down to what this ultimately was, and that it didn't really have to do with discretion or you know breaking, uh, you know, or breaching patient safety. It came down to a turf war, right? There was a group of 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 physicians, I believe. Nobody really knows. It's still kind of a little bit unknown who who was. Um, and we see this all over. There's there's turf wars between dermatologists, plastic surgeons, what we call non-core physicians, which are the physicians who have who are ER docs who have trained in aesthetics and on there. And 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 the the idea is who gets to control and and who 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 gets to provide these services to this massive amount of need in that population out there. And so somebody did not want. LPNs or RNs to be doing this in this particular way, and so it really came down to um, somebody trying to, to to box them out using the medical board and the and the attorney general of, of the of the state of Texas to to, to 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 put a chilling effect on on the way that these other folks operated. This podcast was brought to you by Contract Diagnostics. This is a company that specializes in contract reviews. And specialization is something we can all appreciate here. So again, when you or your family have contract needs, give them a call. They'll help you understand your contract and make sure it lines up with your interest and protect the assets that you covet most, namely your time and your family. Find them at drpodcastnetwork.com slash contract diagnostics or call 888 574 Five five two six. And with that, we're at the end of our broadcast. Thanks for joining us. In closing, a few messages. 
If you're an existing member of medical or dental justice and you find yourself on the receiving end of a medical legal threat, please contact us at 1-877-MEDJUST. That's 1-877-MEDJUST or 633-5878. Our STAT hotline is a service offered to all current members. It's designed to get your urgent medical legal questions answered ASAP. Members can also access a plethora of exclusive medical legal resources by logging into their members-only page, which can be accessed by our website, medicaljustice.com. Now, we want to protect as many doctors as possible. If one of your colleagues is in trouble, please refer him. When a current member of medical justice refers a colleague and that colleague becomes a member, you both receive a month of free protection. To refer a colleague, write to us at infonews, that's I-N, Epizen Frank O News at medicaljustice.com. That's infonews at medicaljustice.com. Now, if you're not an existing member of medical or dental justice, but want to bulletproof your practice from medical legal threats, our admin, Wendy Cates, is your best resource for information about our protection plans, implementation best practices, and pricing models. Wendy can be reached directly at 336 358 5587. We offer discounts for large groups and protect doctors of all specialties in all states. Now, before we close, one last request. If you enjoyed this episode, please write a review on your preferred podcast provider and share our podcast with your colleagues. Reviews help maintain our podcast visibility, which in turn helps us reach a broader audience. This helps us protect more doctors. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you'll join us on the next episode of the Medical Liability Minute.